All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn to Thessalon- or, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that's where we'll be tonight, 2 Thessalonians 3. It's a short little chapter, but there's a lot of stuff in it, so we're going to take some time with it tonight. Um, potluck is coming up, not this Sunday, but, well, a couple Sundays from now. Begin, in other words, September will be our potluck Sunday, so... Um, be kind of ready for that. Baptism's coming up. Um, we're going to do a second baptism on Labor Day. We have one uh, person that couldn't show up on the baptism day, so we're going to do another one uh, for them specifically. So I'll give you more details as we get closer to that. Um, but those are kind of the things coming up. That conference that's coming up September um, down in uh, St. Joe. encourage you to sign up and show up. I mean, uh, maybe you've never been to a conference before. It's not like a Xerox conference or a you know, business conference. Um, it's, uh, I guess the best way to describe it would be a mountaintop time for you, just for you to get alone with the Lord and to get fed and to see if he has anything to say to you or whatever. I just encourage you to come if you can. Um, they're not very, they're, they're kind of rare. Um, once a year is what we have for, for us. And, uh, if you can get there, I encourage you to come. It's a good refreshing time. I always get something out of it and, uh, I know you will too. All right. Second Thessalonians 3. Um, Paul, finishing up this second letter, says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul always requests prayer. Um, you're never above that, you know, um, no matter where you stand. Um, you always need prayer. And Paul knows that. He, he covets the prayers of the people. Um, and his prayers are not selfish, um, he doesn't want to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men because, you know, he, he, it, it, it's the second on the list because it's the hindrance to the first one on the list. The first one on the list is that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. And that's what he wants to do. It's what he lives for. I want it to be, I want the world to know Jesus. And their biggest hindrance for the world knowing Jesus is unreasonable and wicked men. They're the ones that put them in prison. They're the ones that beat them. They're the ones that get them down so that they can't move forward with the gospel. And he says, that's what I want prayer for. Um, I want to be delivered from them. I, I, don't, I don't ask to, to be immune from persecution or tribulation. I know that that comes to all men who follow the Lord and women that follow the Lord. Um, but I want to be delivered from them. Um, if God wants me out, I want to be out. I don't want to be in. I don't want to be in their control. I want to be under God's control. And so He prays. He wants them to pray for Him that way. I want the the word of the Lord to run swiftly and be glorified, um, just as it is as it is with you. I want I want the rest of the world. I want all the churches or all the people groups that we run into and and start telling about Jesus to be like you guys. You know, you're on fire for the Lord. Um, it's going swiftly through you. Now they've got some doctrinal things they had to get straightened out and some concerns that they had. We all do, um, and you ne- that never stops. You're always learning, but they are running swiftly, and God is being glorified in their body and, and in the body, that body of believers, and he, he definitely wants that to multiply. He wants to have lots of people like that. You know? So that's his prayer request. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. Now, I don't know why he says, but the Lord is faithful. It's almost like he's saying, I, I know he will deliver us from unreasonable and wicked men, the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. You're going to see that word command come up quite a bit. It's kind of a, uh, a word that maybe we're not used to hearing at church. You know, Paul going around commanding people to do stuff. Well, who are you to command me to do stuff? I listen to Jesus, you know. Well, true, true. 
but Paul is uh, God's emissary to them. He's his ambassador, and he's the one that God sent to them. And so he's not commanding them to obey him. He doesn't have a little Napoleon complex. You know, he's not saying, you know, oh, you better obey me because God says you have to. It's not what he's getting at. He wants to command them in the name of the Lord. Um, in other words, what I'm telling you is what God's telling you. I, I'm not telling you Pauline things. I'm telling you Jesus things. And so when he commands, it's under the authority of God. Because uh, when you don't do the things Paul's commanding, then you're not doing the things God's commanding. His, his word, Paul's word, his epistles are Scripture. And we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so we have that. And so when Paul says command, which you'll hear a lot, um, he's not trying to lord it over them at all. Um, Peter encourages us not to, as, as leaders, lord over the people. But he, he does expect obedience to God. That's a fair thing, I think. I think everybody who's leading their family or leading a church or a congregation or any kind of group, a Bible study, should expect obedience to God from the people coming. Otherwise, why are they coming? You know, um, we should, as we come to open our Bibles and hear God's word, we, we should be expected to obey his word. Not question it, not doubt it, not judge it, but to obey it. And so Paul say that, says that here. Um, there are unreasonable and wicked men in the world. Um, in other words, it's reasonable to believe in Jesus. Those who don't believe in Jesus, it's an unreasonable thing. Um, they're not thinking all the way through. And I, um, I have those moments where you get a, uh, and I think we all do, um, I assume you do, uh, you get in the day-to-day, -day, you get kind of used to things the way they are, the mower doesn't work, or things, you know, you know dishwasher needs a swift kick or something like that. You just kind of get into that mode of living life um, and the way it is. But there's moments when I sit back and I think about everything. I think about grass and trees and us and just being, just existing as a person, as an entity, as a, as a body that's moving around and thinking its thoughts. And you think about the universe and, and I remind myself or it reminds me that this is designed. This is a plan. This is unfolding and there is a God. Not that I ever doubt there's a God, but sometimes I live like an amoeba, I guess. I, I just kind of do my thing. But there are times when uh, God allows me, and I, I think allows all of us to kind of transcend that and think, this is big. You know, It's so strange that there's a sky and that I'm looking up at it and wondering about the color and all these things. And that's, there is a God and it's going to happen. He's coming back soon and there is a heaven and we're going to live there. And so it's unreasonable to live in this life and to not recognize that, at least sometimes. You know, I'm not saying I need to walk around like a goof, you know, <laughs> you know, with my head in the, in the clouds. But there are, there are moments where you have that pause in life and you realize, okay, yeah, it gets you back to where you're supposed to be. It's unreasonable to not think like that. And that comes from being wicked. People love sin. Um, and if you love your sin, you will reason away, or you think you are, reason away God or the existence of God. Because if there is a God, then we are required to follow we are required to worship, um, and that's bothersome to my sin and my flesh. So Paul says, I, I, it's interesting. What you should pray for, <laughs> if, I, if you were to say this with the outside of context, outside of God's word, just to somebody on the street, gosh, I just pray that God would keep me from wicked and unreasonable people. And what would the Christian say to you today? Shouldn't we pray for the wicked and the unreasonable people? Don't we want them to be saved, brother? Of course we want them to be saved. 
I think you misunderstand the point. I, of course you want all men to be saved, but you know what? Some people won't be. Some people don't want to be saved. And that's up to them, whether they accept Christ or not. But I don't want to be hindered from sharing the gospel by those unreasonable and wicked people. I think sometimes Christians, we got to, not, not you, I don't mean to say that, but what I hear and as I see the body of Christ moving in that direction a lot, we got to toughen up a little bit. Um, there are swine. And we're not to cast our pearls before them because they just trample them underfoot. Um, we have lots and lots of scripture where Jesus says, if they reject the gospel, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next. There are unreasonable and wicked people out there. Don't get hindered by them. Sometimes we can get stuck as we're sharing the gospel. We run into some group or a person specifically that's unreasonable and wicked. And we think it's our life mission to stop at that point and do nothing but spend the rest of our lives trying to get them saved. Sometimes it's okay to bounce off and go on to the next person and let them soften up a little bit. That hard soil needs to be plowed up maybe a little bit more. It's okay to go around it and move on and let's get the field planted. The field's ripe for harvest. I'm not going to waste my time on the rocks necessarily. Pray for them. Ask God to soften the soil. But Paul says specifically, I need to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men because not all have faith. They just don't. You know, And so we move on with the gospel, and he moves on. He wants it to flourish. And he says, and I know all that. I have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both you uh, to do and will do the things we command you. Paul has confidence. He knows that God has a hold of them. He's not asking for them or hoping that they don't die a spiritual death, you know, or that they fall away from the Lord. He says, I have confidence in God in you. I know that he's got a hold of you. I know I've made you a disciple of Jesus and not a disciple of mine. I know that you're following the Lord, and I have confidence in that. That trusting in God is very important for us. Um, we can get into the habit of coming to church and figuring out and hearing what we're not supposed to be doing and then going home and really trying hard not to do those things anymore. Or we hear what we're supposed to be doing and realize we're a failure in that area, and so we go home and we try really hard to be a, a success in those areas. And then we fail, and you will, and we all do. And we come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I really tried really hard to be a success in those areas, or I really tried really hard not to be a failure in those areas. And all God is showing us in his word, when we have Bible studies like this, it's not to belittle us, but to show us our need for him. And if I want to be doing what God wants me to do, he's asked me to do one thing, he's asked you to do one thing, and that's to draw near to him. It's all you have to do. Draw near to Jesus. Um... If you turn to John chapter 15, verse 5, it's a verse that you may not have memorized, but once we read it, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know. But John chapter 15, verse 5, and I didn't put them in my notes, so we've got to actually turn there in our Bibles. So, I'm turning too slowly, and you're already there because you've stopped page turning. That's okay. John 15, 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am the vine, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So in other words, I can't hear what I'm supposed to do or not do at church and go home and try to do that. I can't do it without him. And so what he asks us to do, even in this scripture here that we just read in chapter 15 and on, there's more in context there, is to, to abide in the vine. 
In other words, your attachment to me, Jesus says, is how you accomplish the things that I've asked you to do or get rid of the things I've asked you to get rid of. It's by being attached to the vine. I just need to either open up more or spend more, but you draw near to Jesus. And that's how those things change. That's how life, that's how we become um, conformed into his image. Um, Trusting God. Paul says, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to teach. I'm going to write letters. I'm going to pray for you. Those are all things I can do and will do because I've drawn near to Jesus and I've seen him do that. And that's easy. It's natural now. He lives in me and he prays for you. He lives in me and he writes letters to you. He lives in me, you know, and that's what he does. And so when we draw near, when Paul draws near to Jesus, he's naturally doing those things. They just come out of him. It's supposed to be the same for us, to trusting God, trusting him in him for everything, not just for salvation, but trusting in him for my being conformed, for my success in obedience. You know, <laughs> hey, look, I was obedient. All I did was draw near to you. I drew near to Jesus, and it, and it, and it works. He works. Verse 5, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. If you're directed in anything, may God direct your hearts into the love of God. Don't ever doubt that he loves you. Putting God first in your life, um, drawing near to him, you will grow in that love. You will know how much he loves you. And it's from that love, that loving kindness of Christ, that leads us to repentance and obedience, all of it. Um, and into the patience of Christ. That's a tougher one for me. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not patient with people. I tell you, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I, I really don't have a problem with people failing morally. I probably should as a pastor be really upset by people failing morally, but it doesn't surprise me, and it doesn't hurt my feelings, and I don't think less of the person. I just don't. I don't care what you've done. I, none of it affects me in my relationship with you anyway. I don't ever look at you funny and go, oh, wow, I really thought you were further along in the Lord. I just, it's not in me that way. Um, I guess because I know myself. Um, and and when, you have a, when you're really aware of who you are and what Christ has done for you, um, when you're drawn into the love of God and you trust in his saving grace from the cross, um, you get drawn into the patience of Christ. You become more patient with people. You just do. You understand that. And not patience like, oh, come on, you know, I'm being patient. That's not being patient. I mean, honestly, looking at people and seeing, that's just growing. You just have to grow. We all do. There's a patience there. There's patience with our kids. Sometimes we lose our patience with our kids. That's the terms we use. But that's because we think they should be further along than they are. And so we lose our patience with them. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, probably 150 more, you know. Obviously, a couple more times because they didn't learn it that time and to have that patience with them. My teachers, some of my teachers in grade school had patience with me. Some of them didn't. I have a learning disability. I don't know what it is yet, but it's just difficult for me to learn. I'd love to label it. I'd love to blame it on something else, but I have a hard time learning. I, third grade, I told, I probably told Mrs. Polson, I'll never forget her, I sat she pulled my desk up next to hers the entire year. I was pulled out and next to hers, facing the wall, class behind me next to her desk the whole time. Now, she wasn't being mean, but I couldn't focus. And I still didn't focus because the pegboard was in front of me that's on the wall. I'm just, I'm moving things, I'm pegboarding things. JD, oh, 
Sorry, Mrs. Polson. She had patience with me, and my learning disability didn't want to be there at all. Now, as much as I have patience for other people, and I think we maybe all do have a better level of patience for other people, we need to be patient with ourselves as well. We really do. Um, I need to look at how patient God is with me, and I need to match that with myself. Very important. Um, my God knows I have a learning disability. I honestly believe that's why he called me to be a pastor, because I would never learn the scriptures unless I was forced to study for Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm a, I think so. And as I study and I learn, I'm like, oh, you know. And then I tell you guys, oh, I don't really know if you guys get it or not, but I really got something out of my study time, you know. I need to be, and we need to be patient. And so God, Paul says, my prayer for you, may God direct your hearts into his love and into the patience of Christ. He's very patient with us. So know that about him and how he feels about you. Now, he goes on to commanding again. Now, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Switch gears pretty quick there, it seems like. Um, may God direct you into your love and patience, and by the way, we command you to stick away, stay away from disorderly brothers. It's the first time we really hear about that. I mean, um, it's one of his first letters that he wrote. He does, says it in Corinthians, and he says it in other places, but for, for here, um, it's the first time we've seen him tell brothers and to tell other brothers to walk orderly. We're called to that. Now, don't judge me, brother. What do you mean? I'm, what do you mean you're telling me to walk orderly? You shouldn't judge me. Actually, Paul says you you are supposed to judge each other in these areas. Walk orderly, and here's what I mean by that. He gets really specific. I want you to make sure that everybody's working like they're supposed to, not to be busybodies and and not to uh, mooch basically off of other people. Don't be a mooch. Um, they should be working. Now, I don't know if he's talking specifically about just this church. Or whether he's talking about other speakers that are coming in, other roving pastors, because he also discusses that with them in a couple other letters. I know that there's some guys, especially the Corinthians, I know there's some guys that have come in and began to teach you, and they charge you fees. We didn't charge you any fees, and we're the ones that started the church. And we should be able to charge fees if we wanted to, but we don't. And so he expected all the teachers that would ever, these traveling pastors, wherever they are, when they come in, they shouldn't be charging any fees. Maybe some food, maybe a meal or something should be given out of hospitality, but they shouldn't give you their want list. You know, here's my, here's my green room want list when I show up to teach. I want, you know, fruit, potent, I want, you know, cold fruit, no kiwis, and remove all the green M&Ms from the, you know, give me a break. No. Um, if you're a servant of the Most High God, you know, you'll, you'll take whatever these people can offer you. Um, and so Paul says, I want you to watch out for that. A couple of scriptures I want to go over here. Um, um, he says, we were the example to you. We had authority to take from you, but we didn't. That's something to keep in mind. Um, Paul understood that when you start churches, you don't, you don't do that. Later on, he does do that. We've discussed that in a couple other chapters here. Later on, he does receive from these churches. But um, for now, no, that's not what you do. Uh, we didn't want to be a burden to any of you. That's why. We didn't walk disorderly. So that's his definition of disorderly. 
eating other people's bread, not working, and being a busybody. It brings disorder. We need tasks. Every one of us needs a job. We need to go work. We need to work. It's important to work. Um, It doesn't matter how much you get paid. I mean, I know it does to pay bills, but it's better to have a job than a little bit of wage than no job and and, and living off of other people. You need to work. Um, um, So he tells them that. You you need to be doing that. Later on, he's going to get more specific in verse 10, that they're supposed to eat their own bread and so on. But um, we live this way with you. Okay, the scriptures I was going to tell you. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, as Paul says, um, we didn't walk disorderly and not according to the traditions which you received from us. Some people take that tradition word and say, see, the church has traditions and we need to follow them. Okay. Um, I've, I've probably got on the Catholic church a couple times here, um, and it's obvious. And I, I guess I need to clarify why I get on the Catholic church a little bit, because I... Uh, there's a lot of innuendo, and there's a lot of, I'm, I'm very close without saying the name, but I'm going to say it. I have a problem with the Catholic Church because they've rejected unum scripto, okay? And that's probably the wrong way to put it. They have their own thing. We believe that the scriptures, the Bible, is the final authority. They do not believe that. The Bible is secondary. They believe that the church is the final authority. And what they say, their traditions are the final authority, and that the scripture is second. It doesn't have to confirm. So I have a big problem with that when you take God's word out. And that was the big argument that caused the Reformation. It was, it was a big deal. Um, and so we believe the scriptures are the final authority. They do not. And so, um, and I don't care what their traditions teach as long as they line up with God's word. And so, great, do whatever you're going to do to worship God, provided it doesn't contradict God's word. When it does, though you have a very serious problem. And this is where they hold on to these passages and the passages I'm going to read to you. See right here, Paul says they're supposed to walk according to the traditions which they received from us. And they honestly believe that through the succession of the laying on of hands, Peter laid hands on this person, Peter laid hands on that person, that person laid hands on that person, all the way to 2018, when the priests get their hands laid on them, that what they say, what they do, is the next tradition. That's why they can change traditions. The other name for the Pope is the Holy Father. They don't mean like a really great spiritual dad. They mean literally he speaks as God. He's the Holy Father. That's why Jesus says don't call any man father. Okay, um, Not that you can't call your dad dad. Of course you can. Or father. That's not what they mean. They mean capital F. Like Trinity. Um, Holy Father, when you go into confession and you're confessing to the priest, you're actually confessing to the Father. It's a big deal. (laughs) Um, And so it's not that Catholics are bad. Catholicism has some serious problems because of this very scripture that they use to justify it. They believe that Paul is talking about the traditions are as valid as the scriptures, and they're not. So let me prove that through God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Um, uh, we just said that. Or let's, 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 uh, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And then he says it again in chapter 3. So now they've got two scriptures they hold on to to perpetuate their thought that traditions are equal to God's word. Um, the next one is... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. So a different letter to a different group of folks. 
Um, Paul says, very similar, same wording, um, but I want to read it just so you understand. Um, Chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So you can see with those three scriptures, okay, yeah, traditions, really important. doesn't have to be word only. It has to be, uh, at the time, word only meant Old Testament. Old New Testament wasn't there. Now Peter understands and, and says that Paul's letters became or are scripture. So now they're scripture also. Um, so what Paul is teaching them, the traditions he's teaching them are biblical traditions, not extra biblical tra- traditions. I know we're in the weeds now, but I, I want you to, let's follow up with what Jesus said in Mark 7, just in case anybody gets confused. Well, I guess we are supposed to follow traditions. He made sure that even the Jews needed to use Scripture to validate their traditions. They, God's Word was the final authority, and if any of their traditions violated God's Word, then the traditions of men go. And so he taught in, in that, uh, on that. Mark 7, and we'll start in verse 5. Uh, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So they had a tradition. We wash hands. Now he's talking about washing your hands like you're supposed to when you leave the bathroom or something. He's talking about the way they wash their hands. And there was a funny way that they did it. They pour the water and they do that. And they do, you know, it, was a, it was a deal. And Jesus answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me, um, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Well, there's a difference between commandments and traditions, right? No, watch. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. There's this connection. The commandments of men are traditions of men. There's no such thing. No tradition that comes from man can supersede God's command. That rhymed. Okay, we should put that on a plaque someplace. No tradition of man should surpass God's command. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other other such things you do. And here's why. He said to him, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. That's the command. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profits you you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift from God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. We cannot nullify God's word with our traditions. Okay, Um, So that's my problem with not only the Catholic Church, but any church that brings tradition and puts it above God's word. You can't do that. Um, And so when Paul says here, in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians eleven two 2, about traditions. Those are biblical traditions. They're not extra-biblical traditions. So I wanted to spend some time on that, lest they think, oh, you're just always slamming on the Catholics. Why are you doing that? I love Catholics. It makes no difference. I hate Catholicism. It's wrong. It's just wrong. It's not right. It's not accurate. Um, there are no priests anymore. Jesus is our only priest. There's just so many things um, that are just extra-biblical that it's hard to look past it. So, um, that being said, Paul says they're not doing 
what we did. In other words, you can find Scripture that teaches you're supposed to be a good, hard worker. And it's a tradition that I've brought by example. That's all a tradition is, is we've actually lived out God's Word in front of you, therefore it became a tradition. All of God's Word should be a tradition for us. We would all should be traditionalists um, because we follow God's Word so closely. Um, otherwise, it's disorderly, and it turns out to be disorderly. Um, we haven't done that. You shouldn't do that, nor should the people around you do that. So I want you to... <laughs> I want you to withdraw yourself from every brother who walks disorderly. He's actually saying that. Withdraw from a brother. Not talking about from the world necessarily. There's a, there's a scripture for that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord who walk disorderly who won't work. Withdraw from them. Um, they need to learn to work. Not, not shun them, not throw them out. It can look like that, I guess, a little bit. You could, you could probably call it shunning. It's not. It's... They need to feel that it's uncomfortable. We don't celebrate that. We don't celebrate that disorderly conduct amongst the church. Um, you need to walk in obedience to God and to the traditions of biblical traditions. Um, so he calls them to separate from themselves, separate from them, to withdraw from them. They need to feel that. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. There it is again. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's not very loving. It is. <laughs> it's very loving. If you're not going to work, then you don't eat. What if they can't work? There are provisions for widows. Of course there are. There are provisions for those that are infirmed and, and all that. He's not talking about those very rare and very small percentage of people that need actual handouts from people. Paraplegics, quadriplegics, people that can't. can't. Um, I mean, you think about, and I know he's not a believer, um, the, the scientist, um, yeah, David Hawking, or Stephen Hawking, not David Hawking's a pastor, Stephen Hawking, boy, he figured out how to work, and he runs his wheelchair with his mouth and his breath and speaks through a computer. Well, maybe he's David, David, or Stephen Hawking, I mean, I know he's brilliant and all, but he found a way to do it um, and, and made money at it and lived, you know? Um, there is a way to work. And I think you should at least try your hardest to work uh, in any way, shape, or form. You should do that. And he says, if you don't eat, if you don't work, then you don't eat. He says, we taught that to you. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command, this is an order. This is an optional. We command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread need to do that. Very important. It's good for the body. It's good for people. You can only give so much. You need to work. And it's not good for the person. Um, handout after handout does, can spoil people. And I don't mean like spoil them like uh, they get everything they've asked for, but I mean like ruin them. It can ruin a person. Um, they become less. God's called us to work. That's part of the curse. As much as I was, you know, I'd, I'd rather not work. I think we'd all love to have, you know, six months off, six months on. That'd be great. I think that'd be great. And heaven is going to be like that. It's going to be nice. But part of the curse is to work. And we work through thorns. We don't, we don't just go out there and work and it's going to be easy. It's going to be work and it's not going to be fun. It's, the earth's going to produce thorns for us as we work through it. I, um, uh, Mace was telling me, yeah, 
the ground is cursed. He's saying every time you, you want to put rock down in your driveway, it goes into the soil. And every time you want to plow the soil, up come the rocks. He said, you know, why can't it work the other way around? But it is. It's, that's the way it is. Um, doesn't mean we quit working just because it's hard. You know, work. So let them work and, uh, in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. That's the point. Um, So Paul is literally asking people to shame other people. It goes against our world, doesn't it? What is the big push now from the world? Don't shame me. Don't shame me. Sometimes we ought to be ashamed. You're not supposed to feel comfortable in these things. We're not supposed to feel okay about these things. It's supposed to be embarrassing. That's what motivates us sometimes. Um, it, can, it can absolutely cripple us sometimes too. I know that. I know that. I, I, most of us hate speech class, you know, because <laughs> you're embarrassed. You want to be in front of people and all that. It's, it's, it's you know, um, but for the most part, it moves us in the right direction. God's direction. I should be ashamed of my sin. I know that I don't have guilt. I know that he's taken away, but I, I don't boast in it, you know? Um, so he says um, that they may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy. Remember, that's the goal. But admonish him as a brother. And admonishment isn't fun, nor is giving admonishment fun. Being admonished is very uncomfortable, and admonishing people is nobody likes that. No boss in the world looks forward to grabbing the employee and bringing them into the office and having to talk to them about their low performance or lack of performance in an area. Nobody likes to do that. Nobody wants to be the guy in the office. And yet, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're called to do the hard things sometimes. Give the hard teachings, you know. That's why, as a pastor, I pray that people receive the Word of God because it's far easier to receive an admonishment from here to just a group of people than to actually have to stop someone and pull them aside and say, look, I've been teaching on this for six months now. Why aren't you getting married? What's the deal? Why are you living in sin? It's far better to teach God's Word and let God's Word work by the Holy Spirit than to have to finally pull someone aside and say, I've given you six months. I know you're a young believer, but we've taught on this several times. Why are you living in sin? You know it's sin. Why are you disobedient in this area? Kind of thing. Um, Or any other area like that. It's any other kind of sin. It's so much better to just read God's Word and receive it and change than to have to go admonish. And yet, sometimes you've got to do the hard things. And so he tells them, it's a hard thing. Now, he has somebody in mind. I guarantee you this didn't just come up. Oh, you know, by the way, someone isn't working. No, I've heard that there are people among you. Now, remember, this letter is being read at church. And it's also going to be read at other churches. And so this guy or this gal or whoever this is, is sitting in the crowd. And they're reading this. And he says, he wanted us to let you know that we're supposed to withdraw from the guy that's not working and always living off of other people. And everybody knows who that is. And that guy just went... You know, it's kind of awkward. I think I'm going to go look for a job tomorrow kind of thing, you know. And, you know, I don't know if everybody did it or not, but they all probably went, you know, why are you always all looking at me? Because you're the guy that's got my bread. You never brought back my hedge clippers. Get your own chainsaw, you know, kind of thing. We're... It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But 
besides all that, remember what God does for us. He is conforming us into the image of Christ. So do I want to be conformed? Because Christ was a hard worker. Jesus worked hard. Jesus ate his own bread. Sometimes he made his own bread, but he ate his own bread. And he wants us to do the same thing. So the admonishment isn't because we don't like you or because uh, you know the, the church has a thing against that kind of sin. No. We get to be a part of that being conformed. He tells us his brethren, you guys that are doing the right thing that are supposed to be doing the admonishing, tells them don't grow weary in doing good yourself personally, but also in helping other people in their faith. He says that to the Galatians in 6.9 also, because you will reap a reward or a harvest from sowing good seed in your life. Don't grow weary in well-doing because you're going to reap a harvest in that area. Keep working at it. Keep going. This isn't the only time Paul has written and uh, John has actually said about withdrawing from people. Um, um, he does it in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. Um, let's read that real quick. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. And the, the goal isn't to make the church pure. Some people think it is. Some people think that we're supposed to spot people's sin, kick them out of the church so our church can be better. It's not the point. The point is so that people may be ashamed of their sin and, and change. That's the point. You, in, this, in this section here, in this 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 9, he finds out that there's someone who's sexually immoral among the church, and they're proud of it. They're boasting about their grace and their mercy and how they're letting it happen in their church. He says, you shouldn't be boasting about that. You need to kick this guy out for the destruction of his flesh so that you can restore him later on. We're not trying to make Corinthian church more pure by getting rid of people. We're trying to make people more pure. We're trying to make them more holy. We're trying to help them in their con being conformed to the image of Christ. So hopefully that helps. He says, after he tells them about this guy, um, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. I wasn't telling you to withdraw from the world, to make your church more pure, to keep out the yuck. And to keep yourselves from that. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees pulled their coats in when they walked by the unwashed masses. Because they didn't want to be touched or defiled by them. No, 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 no. Paul says, I did not tell you to keep away from sexually immoral people in the world. That's where you're supposed to be, is the implication. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or the idolaters, um, since you would need to go out of the world. There's no place for you to go. Of course you're supposed to be in them. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. I have called you to that. There's a stricter judgment for the body of Christ. There's a stricter judgment for Christians. It is stricter. There's a stricter judgment for teachers in those bodies of Christ as well. It gets worse. <laughs> The more you serve, or the closer you are, or the whatever God calls you to do, whatever level you get at, and in other words, an authority level is what I'm saying, um, it's even more. Um, we see that. We see that whenever, it doesn't matter that someone in the congregation committed adultery, but when the pastor commits adultery, poof, the church explodes and blows up. You know? And the news media is all over it. If anybody could have gotten Billy Graham, they, would have, they tried to get Billy Graham. Because he knew if you can take that guy out, oh. be careful. Paul says, 
Not the world. The world is the world. They don't know better. They don't have Christ. But believers, we do. We do. We're called to that. And so Paul says that to the Corinthians. I've called you to do this. It's a purifying thing for the person. It's for their benefit. Second uh, John 1, uh, verses 7 through 11. I don't know if we have time to read it. It's okay. You can read it on your own. But he tells them when someone comes to your door with a different gospel, or uh, not even to receive them into your house. When the little guys roll it right up on their bicycles with the false gospel and the false Jesus, mm-mm. you just keep on riding, guys. No. Aren't you supposed to minister to them? Paul says I don't have to. Paul says I can, or John says I can just let them go. And I just let them go. It's always on Saturday morning. We've got our big breakfast there, or the Jehovah's Witness, they come in, or the Mormons, whichever it is, and they come up and they want to talk to us. I don't have time. I'm spending time with my sheep. Go bother someone else today, and I hope you have no success at all. And I don't even say God bless you. I hope he doesn't. I hope it's an absolute disastrous day. I hope you get a flat tire. I hope your tie gets stuck. I hope nobody gets, confer, you know, gets converted to that. It's false. Um, it's, a, it's a cult. Steer clear of it. Um, and Paul says, or John says, I don't have to do that. Third John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. He speaks specifically of uh, Diotrephes, or whatever is how you ever pronounce his name. Because he loved the preeminence. He loved to be in front. Wouldn't let anybody come in and teach or anything because he was the only one that knew the truth, you know, kind of thing. Wouldn't let anybody else share kind of thing. He's like, no, that's wrong too. Um, he's, he's in error there. Um, and that's kind of the opposite. You've got to find that balance. Uh, yes, some people aren't supposed to be uh, comfortable in their sin. And yet you've got to let other people in too. At the same time, you can read both of those scriptures and kind of balance them out for you. All right. Um, so, admonish him as a brother. Remember the point of this. Don't forget you're loving them and that they're brothers in the Lord that they need to get straightened out in this area. So you're supposed to admonish them in this area. Um, so, don't become weary. Now, here's the benediction, the final, as Paul says goodbye. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Um, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And with that being said, everything Paul said just about this last difficult chapter is gracious. It is gracious to do this. Um, we don't tell the world they're supposed to straighten up and fly right. We tell brothers to straighten up and fly right, which means I consider you a brother. Okay. I care about you that much. I love you that. The rest of the world, they need Jesus first. Then that takes place. The cleaning up takes place. So it is a gracious thing. Don't ever think that there's not grace and there isn't a plan involved here. Our best life, said this before, is complete obedience to God. That is our best life. And so when you admonish a brother or sister to live their best life, you are doing them a favor. You are their best friend. A friend will tell you. An enemy won't, or someone that's self-seeking won't, because they just don't want any problems. They just don't want the headache. They'd just rather have, you know, fictitious peace, because that's what it is. It's fake. But they'd rather just not have the absence of conflict is what they want in their lives. But a loving person, a friend, will tell you the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul wasn't afraid to tell these folks, look, the guy sitting next to you who's not working needs to start working. Um, and to withdraw from such a person until they do, until they get straightened out in that area. And so God, um, 
I don't want to look for people necessarily that I'm supposed to straighten out, but I definitely want to look at myself tonight as a pastor. Um, I don't want people to have to withdraw from me um, because I'm not getting it from you. I'm not hearing your word. I don't want people to have to make me ashamed. I don't want to see it that way. I want to see it because I read it in your word, I believed your word, and I applied your word so that nobody has to be an admonishing person in my life. I don't want to put that on them, how, how hard that is, how uncomfortable that is to have to admonish somebody. I don't want them to have to go through that. So God, I receive your admonishment tonight. Um, you, uh, you can handle it. You can do it. And um, I receive it from you. And I hope we all do tonight. Just receive that admonishment from our Lord, our loving Savior tonight. Conform us into your image. We've always wanted that. And we pray that your word would rest in our hearts, um, would bear much fruit and have deep roots, God. Um, and we consider ourselves admonished. We thank you for that, God. Taught, trained. Um, and we receive your word with gladness. So thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, have a good rest of the night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, we'd love to pray with you.